This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com folks back here very happy to be joined by uh, edgar blatchford how you doing edgar i'm doing very well thank you very much i just drove in from Saldana, then to seward and i'm here today and i was in a mad rush to make this interview i'm glad you're here you know it's uh, unfortunately it's a beautiful but day. i didn't break the law on the highway <laughs> <laughs> that's good unfortunately it's a beautiful day so we're inside but yeah, once right. we're, we're done we'll be outside right um yeah i've actually heard heard about you over the years you've run for senate in 16 you briefly ran for lieutenant governor democratic um party in 2018 so um one of your one of your people reached out to me and, and i was very happy to set this up so i'm looking forward to the conversation well i'm glad to be here and you know i'm you know i got a late start in this campaign so i'm happy to take any kind of an interview you know, and talk to people and i was down in Saldatna uh at the fair that they have there and and it was um it's not a fair but it's kind of like a a market a farmer's market you know an event that they hold uh, once a week so that was fun like an outside like by by produce yeah or? and you know it was raining but it's still very very nice down on the kenai raining today no yesterday oh, yes because yeah, yes, today yes, seems yes. and i drove to seward because my mother lives in seward and i went to seward and uh turn around come up um just got here back to anchorage well what, you were you were early my dad used to always tell me growing up if you're early you're on time and if you're on time you're late <laughs> and he was a navy guy 25 years you know retired yeah. so one day when i was 10 years old or something. I said, what if you're late? He goes, you're F, that's what you are. <laughs> so I said, oh, don't be late. Yeah. So you're running for um, U.S. Senate right now in the Democratic primary, and I want to talk about that a little bit. But first, I want to kind of go back. Uh, Landmine Radio listeners really like to hear the history, a lot of the folks that have been around. And I was reading up on you, and you were born in Nome before statehood, 1950s, all right? Well, you can't be giving out my age there, Jeff. Well, it's on it's on Wiki, it, it's it's on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, it is. And just talk try to talk into the mic right, there. Okay. Um, but so you moved, I guess, to, to Seward, right? Right after right. statehood. So, what was that like? I mean, growing up in Nome in the fifth. I mean, that must have been a whole well, different. You know, and, and Jeff, you know, what I've been doing is, is uh, trying to uh, I'm trying to get people to get to know me, what kind of person I am, because you know. I'm an academic, you know, I teach at the University of Alaska, Anchorage, and, but, you know, and they see this professor-type guy and also served as the chairman of the board of a native regional corporation, so they think maybe I have lots of money because executives and native corporations make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But I was there back when the salaries were very small. Um, but I was born in Nome, uh, and uh, I, I was... You, you were Ch Chugach, Alaska, right? Right, Chugach, yeah. Alaska, yeah. I was born in Nome, and I was delivered... Uh, you know, Eskimo style uh, by a midwife, you know. And so, um, and I grew up in an era of dog teams before mm -hmm. snow machines. And so um, I got my start there. Uh, the person who delivered me was a uh, midwife who delivered like hundreds of babies up in uh, the Nome Kotzebue region. And her name was Fanny Wallach. And she was a well-respected uh, practitioner of, you know, 
cultural medical practices, you mm-hmm. know, because there weren't th- that many hospitals in the territory of Alaska. You know, and my dad was a construction worker. He was born in Nome. He was born, in, excuse me, in in Teller. His father was an Englishman. That's why he had the name Blatchford. Okay. Okay. Who arrived that uh, my so grandfather. where did his dad come from? Uh, England. He was actually, wow. Yeah, he came in over in uh, for the Nome Gold Rush in early 1900s. And he, he, he stayed. He was unlike other people who left the country. Uh, Percy Blatchford stayed in Alaska, married Eskimo, my grandmother, who was his second wife. His first wife was actually um, died in one of the many pandemics that swept Alaska in the early 1900s. Uh, his first wife died oh, along gee. with the entire family. This was the, the flu or the before yeah, that? This, the it's influenza. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so, and so, and then he married again and then uh, married my grandmother, who was from Shishmara. But, uh, but they lived in, in, in Teller, and they did the typical territorial uh, lifestyle, hunting, you know, prospecting, uh, fox farming. In fact, my grandfather had the largest silver fox farm in on the North American continent back in the 1920s. You know, and fox was mm-hmm. the uh, for a preference for Wall Street uh, women. Um, my dad uh, was, uh, he went into the U.S. Army during World War II, and then after uh, World War II, became a construction worker. He got his... Uh, Experience working on the gold dredges, uh, which and, were and all, and Nome? yep, we, they were all over the place, and and this, this is a long way to introduce it, uh, Jeff. Co- introduce myself because I want you, to, the people, to understand. You know that I'm not here for a short period of time. Well, I, that's that's the, the best part about my my podcast. My kind of the way I approach it is I want to talk to the people not for two minutes, but for a lo- you know a long right. enough time to get, really get to know the person. But my dad was a member of the operating engineers, so I come from a very union family. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my dad, my dad was a tired Navy, but then he worked at the post office for yeah. 20 years. He was in the postal workers union. So, yeah. and, uh, all my uncles were, um, in unions, teamsters or laborers or operating engineers. And, uh, I retired out of the operating engineers cause I worked summers, you know, and, and 10 years you vest into the union's pension plan. And I went to school for a long time. That's how I was able to go to school for so long. Yeah, I saw you have your you have a law degree, and then which I want to talk about later. You have a journalism degree, which is something I've I guess dabbled in. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I did do, I'm a graduate of the University of Washington Law School, and, and my master's degree is in from Columbia University. It's in uh, journalism, but my my passion has always been public service and uh, reporting and talking about current events. And um, I've spent, uh, you know, the last 24 years teaching at the University of Alaska, Anchorage. I, you know, before that, you know, I, I was the, uh, chairman of the board of a native regional corporation. I did that. And, and Chugach was one of the, la- the last, very last native corporation to get a land settlement. And that didn't happen until 1984. And I was the primary uh, oh, So that was years after Inksa. Yeah. And I was, why, why did it take so long? It was because we were in the national forest and all the lands had been uh. pre-selected. So we had very few lands to select from. And, and, you know, and I was awfully young at the time. And I was doing all this heavyweight lobbying out of Washington, D.C. And working with uh, staffers, congresspeople. And uh, this is I, during the Anxa, all the Anxa stuff. No, uh, twelve years after. Oh, this is before the when you guys were getting your yeah, lands. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I really enjoyed it, but and you know, it was always a hassle. 
uh, because we didn't have any money. Uh, and, you know, there was a few dollars coming in. We had a cannery, and it was also a time when, see, the Native land claims changed dramatically, okay? When the Settlement Act passed, the emphasis was on getting jobs for Alaska Natives who lived in rural Alaska. But that changed because in order to be a shareholder of a Native corporation, you had to be alive on December 18th. 1971, and the only way you could become an original shareholder, I mean, a shareholder with original shares, you had to be gifted them, yep, or you had to uh, inherit. I've, them. I've heard from a lot of folk, younger folks, especially Native Alaskans, say that the maybe the one um, problem, the biggest problem with Anxa maybe was not looking ahead a few not generations, looking to the future. And now you're born, and you might have got gifted. They, they've they've split shares. Some of them have split shares, haven't they? Yeah. They've created new shares and that might be the one um like i said the one kind of biggest issue was not looking forward for future generations of you know kids and grandkids well, just look at it this way jeff you know there were about sixty-five thousand alaska natives in 1971 we're in the census now and the native population is going to be about anywhere from 160 to 180 thousand that's so, my guess so triple it, from yep and, and almost all of the afterborn, those born after 1971, will not be shareholders or not have original shares. And to put it in a very basic way is they will never be as equal as a shareholder who has original shares because the original shares are owned um, by the individual Alaska Native who was alive on December 18, 1971. And there's no restriction to what you can do with those shares except you can't sell them. Okay, well, I could sit here right now, Jeff, and write out a will and leave you all my shares, and you would be a shareholder in a native corporation. Even as a non-native person? Oh, absolutely. I could, and and I taught a class at UAA, and I I said that. Um, Has that happened before? What's that? Has it ever happened? Has pe- people been gifted shares that aren't aren't Alaska Native? Oh, that's it's happening all over the place. I mean, uh, it's because there's lots of intermarriage, and you know, you know, and mm-hmm. I yep, and then there's uh, you know. Uh, you know, and, and, and I try to put a kind of a joke, to make it a joke so, um, and, you know, kind of just say something like, because I want people to be interested in it because we have this huge population of Alaska Natives that are not beneficiaries in the development of the subsurface estate because they don't have shares. And I would say, and if I taught Alaska Native corporations, I'd walk into the class and say, well, you know, and I introduced myself and, and I'd say, you know, I'm kind of disappointed because I was going through the checkout stand at at the supermarket and I see that um, the uh, uh, prince, Prince Harry, was out partying last night and I really don't appreciate that. So I decided to write him out of my will. <laughs> and then students, you know, their response is, and not just Native students, it's a non-Native. They don't know this. And they say, someone, after I, you know, talk, and then it bothers people, and they say, excuse me, Professor Blatchford, can you go back to what you just said? Uh, what did you say? What did I say? What did you hear? He said, you wrote Prince Harry out of your will. I said, yeah, I didn't like him drinking and partying in, in London. Well, you can't even put him in your will. Why not? Because he's not an American. Oh, that doesn't make any difference to me. He's not native. Who cares? I don't care. 
In fact, you know, I, you know, I put a kind of a joke to it, and I say, I don't like my family, so I'm not going to leave them any shares. So I'm going to give all my shares to whomever I like before I die. I might leave them to Paul, Bill Gates, or I might leave them to, you know, my favorite dog. So are you saying there should have been some more restrictions on how that? Well, I, and, been... and see, that's the big debate in, in the Alaska Native community, and most non-natives don't know this, and the only person really who can address this issue is uh, is uh, probably a member of Congress because the regulatory authority or for, uh, for the amendment of the Settlement Act um, is the Congress, okay? Right. And the state of Alaska has the responsibility to make sure that uh, the native corporations are regulated. Congress gave that responsibility to the, to the state of Alaska. But I'm a former commissioner of commerce, and I know how weak those regulations are. And so, uh, you know, and so, you know, and if you own 100 shares, I own 100 shares, we're equal, aren't we? As far as the shares go, yeah. Yeah, we're equal. But then what the native corporations did is they adopted all the rules and regulations of publicly traded corporations. Now, if, if it's a publicly traded corporation, what is it? That means if you don't like it, sell your shares. If you like it, that, buy that, more that, shares. That's the inherent yep. issue is you can't, you can't dump your shares, sell your shares, whatever. Right. See, and so there are uh, no restrictions on my shares because they're original shares. And I have 113 shares. My father left me 13 when he died. So here's a question for you. I, and I wasn't even planning to, this topic came up, but I did a story last uh, December on, on the native corporation salaries of the top the regional corporations. Um, and they're all publicly available. You have to go to the banking office to get them. They're kind of hard to get. But um, I guess some people would say, well, if the shares aren't, you know, if you don't have the shares, if you're born after 71, well, there's, there's jobs, you know, you have, you mm-hmm. have the opportunity to, and the job is better. The job is the best thing somebody can have, I think. But um, not all of them, but some of the corporations, I mean, some of the salaries are really high. I mean, $5 million in one year, $5 million for one person, many people making three or four or five, you know, millions of dollars. Um, and it just, it seems to me that, that a lot of folks who live in parts of rural Alaska, and I've, I've seen some of them, you know, it's it's very hard life. Mm-hmm. And it just seems there's a disconnect there sometimes with some of the, you know, there's government contracting and there's the, there's the great opportunity to make a lot of money. And they say, well, it's for the shareholders. We have to benefit the shareholders. But I think some could say, would say, well, it seems to be benefiting a very maybe specific group of, of executives sometimes. Yep. You know, you know, when I first started in the native corporations, you know, I was right out of law school. And, um, you know, the daily rate uh, for attending a board meeting was $50 a day. And generally you came in on a Friday and you left Sunday night or maybe a Sunday you know, because you had to get back to your mm-hmm. job. It's 150 bucks. Yep. And then, then it went up to $100 a day, okay? So, and that was as the uh, corporation uh, aged. And so there was no real emphasis to make for anybody to have a salary on the board. Uh, and the board was only responsible for hiring the president or the CEO. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and you know, I was president of uh, Chugach, uh uh, back in 19, 1978, 1979, I think 79. And my salary was $54,000 a year, which was considered a good salary, but it wasn't exorbitant. Yeah, yeah that's a, the question is, what's a good salary and what's an exorbitant, you know? Yeah. And today, if you look at some of the native corporations, you're looking at 300, 400, 500,000, and then you have bonuses. 
And, you know, I, I think maybe I should be president today, then I would have all <laughs> this money coming in. <laughs> but, you know, it was never my interest to be a, a person who, whose emphasis in life was to make money. It's never been my interest. And, and you know, some say, well, Edgar, you know, I have all this education. Why don't you just go out and make money? Well, I'm more interested in public policy. I'm more interested in doing as much good for the people as I possibly can. And I've had some good opportunities to go off and make money. I had opportunities to stay in New York City. I had opportunities to stay in, in Seattle and work down there, both places. And, you know, and, and I must admit, I've looked around the country. And, but I, my roots are too deep in the state to just get up and try to pull myself were, out of the permafrost and jump somewhere else. And you were, I read, you were mayor of Seward, right? Oh, that was probably the best job I ever had. So what, it, when, it, what year was that? That was in, I, I was the uh, last mayor of, of the last century, 1999, and I served until 2003. Okay, but I, so and I was a city council member before that. So relatively re recently. Not, not yeah, too relatively recent, recently. And that was a fun job because you do something at the Seward City Council or any city council, Wasilla, Valdez, you know, Ketchikan, um, you're real close to the people, yep. and they watch you. Right now, if you're, I'm not sure if you're paying attention. Anchorage the last week, there's been a barrage of public testimony over this proposed ordinance to you know buy some buildings and turn them into mm -hmm. drug rehabilitation and, and mental health um, housing for homeless. And the public has, you know, felt like there was maybe a quick public process. And there's been five days of just. I've last time I saw something like that was the AO37. If you remember that, the labor ordinance in I think 2013. It was another big. Yep. public reaction and and you know a, a local official is right there with the people they hear it when they walk and they go into the post office people will mm -hmm. say you know i saw you on tv last night and i didn't like how you vote voted on that ordinance why'd you vote that way or they say you know that was a good decision you made so you just and that's life you know in a small town and you walk down the street, you know, you look at the neighbors, you know, they, they're paying a property tax, they're paying a sales tax. So they're very interested in local issues. It's not like running for, you know, um, like the U.S. Senate, you know, where the uh, interest could be global, oh. you know. And um, but it was probably the best job I ever had. I enjoyed that much, uh, that job. Did you, you know, have a I tough had. race when you ran or was it? Well, um, I challenged an incumbent mayor. Uh, I wouldn't say it was... All political races are tough, you know, and because you really don't know whether you're going to win or not. Uh, even if you run as, you know, the only candidate on the on the ballot, because, you know, somebody might come along and say, that's a pretty good. I'd love to be mayor, you know, and yeah. do a write-in campaign. Well, you always have, like, the legislative candidates, you know, that's unopposed until, like, five, yeah. four o'clock yeah. of the filing deadline. Somebody comes in and... Yep, and, and the key to, you know, and... The way I understand politics, the the way I want to do politics, the you know, is I don't like asking for money. I don't like asking people to make a donation to my campaign, and that that hurts me. Okay. Yeah, because you know I've I've run for office, and I you know it's what you learn. I don't like it either. But what I've learned is you have to because they won't do it. Very few people do it on their own. Yep. And you know the problem with that, Jeff, is that if you have a lot of money coming in from outside of Alaska. People from global corporations don't donate money to your campaign because they like Alaska <laughs> or they love you. They do not do that. They're making a calculated investment on what you will do for them. It's kind of like a, a return on your money. 
Are you going to get a 10% return, 15% return on your investment in that politician? And that's why, you know, I don't like, you know, these Alaska politicians, you know, taking so much money from the lower 48. And, and I'm, I've been this way for 30, 40 years. I've always said that. And, uh, Jeff, you've been here a long time. You might remember the old bumper stickers we used to have that said, we don't give a damn how they do it outside, you know. And it was a real uh, awful thing to accept money from an outside uh, organization. Yeah, now I think with the Citizens United and the... Oh. So much money gets come, comes, and a lot of it, you know, you don't even know where where it's coming from. Really, you it's don't, hard to, it's hard yeah, to tra- it, trace it. Yep, it's you hard to trace. There, it's called dark money. Yeah, you don't know yep. where. Yep, it's a good book. Jane Mayer wrote a dark money book about yep. about this kind of yep. post Citizens United with his independent and, impacts. You know, this is a good track. You know, something I I, I mention in my classes, and it's you look at Alaska with seven hundred. 30,000 people, two United States senators. And you look at California with 43 million people. <laughs> but, you know, you know, it talks about that a lot is Bill Maher. <laughs> he gets very, he, he, says, he says, we should have one fucking Dakota. Why do we have four senators for these Dakotas? We should have one Dakota. <laughs> but, but, it, but if you're a businessman running a global corporation and you need legislation out of the Senate, out of the Congress, you're going to look at where will my dollar buy the most? And when it comes to Alaska, Alaska is the bargain basement. We, we, of we, we, I think we still are a bargain, but we used to be an even bigger bargain. But in 2014, uh, when Sullivan and Begich, that was the first kind of post 20, you know, the Citizens United, and a lot of money poured into that one. I mean, that, that was, I think it was upwards of 50 million in total spend. Where it was before that, we're, we're dealing with, you know, five million or something yeah. for a race. Jeff, do you think all that money came from people and Orlando or in Hong Kong or in London Edgar, because they're, they're, they Edgar, really they're, like you. They're, they're just philanthropists. Okay, they're, 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 <laughs> they're just, just trying to make a democracy work in Alaska, so they're giving what, their money. What, what I say is a lot of times, in, in the Alaska, in the local level, for example, the, the max donation is five hundred bucks for a candidate. You know, if you're running for legislature, yeah. I know it's much more. It's twenty six hundred for the federal, but um, it's it's. I've always kind of said it's. And if you run over the course of eight, two, you know, two year, you can get. 500 per year. So you can get a thousand from somebody yep. and if they're married and they're, but what I've always said, it's not so much on that level about the amount of money, it, the money helps. Mm-hmm. It's more um, either they're calculating, like you said, kind of the, the more of investment for access. So if the person does win and then something happens, they pick up the phone. Hey, you know, I, I was one of your donors and I think it's nothing wrong with that. You know, Hey, this guy helped me out. I'm going to, and then other folks who don't, you're still going to talk to them, but you know, you kind of, people remember like yeah. who, who helped me get here. Yep. And, 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 you know, you should, you should listen, but you should listen to the, your, the constituencies that you're obligated Correct, to. Yeah, okay? of course. They're the- it, it, it's, you know, I, I took a call or I got a letter from a person, a good person, and he's very offended because he got this form letter from a candidate, a statewide candidate, and it was to an elderly woman. And who was on Social Security, and the letter was, who's a wealthy candidate, asking her to make a political donation to his campaign. And uh, and that was really offensive to the person who wrote me the letter. I won't give you the name. But that happens. And it's like my mother, you know. she She's 93. She lives in my house. I'm her caregiver. And, you know, she has Social Security. And $25 to her is a lot of money, you know. A million dollars uh, to a, a global billionaire is not really a heck of a lot of mm-hmm. money, and if you can, 
uh, get return telephone calls if you make a hundred thousand dollar donation. Why not? You know, and so uh, that's why, you know, and 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 you know, I I'm you know, I'm a fan of people who uh, want to regulate. Uh, campaign donations. Citizens United State was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I, I've I've told people this. I um, I ran a PAC group, an independent group for this guy, Senator now, now Senator Revac. This is back in 2018, and uh, there's a guy that that he's actually Mel Gillis. He's now the rep. He he like Josh Lott had a problem with the old rep. Gave you know cut a check, thirty grand, ran a group. And what I realized doing this, we did radio, we did mail, we did ads, we did all these things. What I, what I very quickly realized, hitting doors, you know, you have the information, the rat cards and all that. Um, what I came to realize is the, the voter does not differentiate between the candidate and the group. It's very difficult to do that. I mean, there's this disclaimers and paid for by, but most people aren't reading that. And if they do read it, what is this group? Who are they? I mean, they don't, they don't go and look at the reports and right. where's the money coming. So it, 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 there needs to be some reforms on this stuff because – Right now with Citizens United, I can say, I like Edgar. I'm going to put a million, two million dollars into Edgar's deal. He has no control over it. Edgar doesn't have any say. And the public doesn't really understand. We saw this with the Dunlavey for Alaska in 2018, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of money came in there. And their their campaign, their group, it was a great campaign. The media was great. The videos were great. The But the public, the signs, remember those all those colorful signs they had? public just sees it as essentially the candidate. Mm-hmm. They don't differ. So I think there does need to be some reforms on, on election yeah. campaign finance. I, I, I think so. I, I, I think if Alaska is going to have any uh, a larger say in the future of the state, Alaskans are going to have to have greater access. I think we're going to have to uh, restrict, uh, find ways to restrict campaign financing because the more money that pours into the, these campaigns, um, uh, the, uh, the less better off we are because that that money doesn't come from people who love alaska they don't love they don't want to they're not giving you money because they want to stand in the cold up at barrow or you know nome alaska in the middle of january Mm -hmm. you know yeah i mean this is really it's it's solely up to the congress to deal with this it's It's up it's it's up to the uh the the, uh, federal congress it's uh it's a huge issue but uh look where we are Look where we're at now. You know, you have two major political parties that can't seem to get anything done in the U.S. Congress because they're they're tethered to the the money that comes in from their campaign donations. And and what I've seen in campaign donations, a billionaire doesn't really care how you feel on the social issues. You know, they don't particularly care. They just want a return on their investment. You know, it could be a tax break. It could be... Um, a port development could be a highway. And they want a return for their investment. And they don't care about those social issues. And when they say, well, you know, they're conservative, they're not necessarily conservative. They just go to the special interest group that's going to do the most for them by electing the kind of person that they want. It's, and it's, it's, I, agree, I agree with you to, to a large degree. It's interesting, too, because the people that would potentially regulate those that activity are the ones benefiting from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, years and years and years ago when I was in uh, at Alaska Methodist University, I went to a school here in Alaska. Um, there was no UAA. By, by the way, I'm a UAA graduate, so oh. history and economics. <laughs> oh, well, you're my friend then. Yeah. 
but uh, I was introduced to uh, a retired Supreme Court justice. He came up to Alaska. I went to a reception for him. And one of my professors said to him, Ed, uh, Mr. Justice, I'd like you to meet Edgar Blatchford. He's interested in public service. And that justice, retired justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, said, young man, if you're interested in politics, get your life in order because it's a nasty, nasty business. And because... It's uh, true. That, it's a good uh, advice. Yep. And, and at that time, you know, there wasn't so much in, the, uh, in these camp, much investment in these campaigns. Uh, but today it's gotten really nasty. And I think it's because, you know, you get all this money into your campaign war chest. You spend all this money and you squeak by in the general election. And now you're elected. You're a senator. You're a governor. You're a congressman, whatever. OK. And then you can't do anything. You literally, because you're tethered to who gave you the money, and that person is going to call you up and say, uh, well, I gave you $100,000. You asked me, and I, you said you'd accept a few telephone calls from me. And now I'm giving you my first telephone call, and I want you to vote this well, way. Well, that's why, ultimately, that's why it's incumbent on the voters. It's it's. You know, we have to elect people. Money is a part of, you're not going to get money out of it. You have to have yep. money to run campaigns, but we have to also elect people who um, can stand up and say, Here, here's what I'm doing this, and I'm not going to be told what to do uh, on important issues, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, and but, but sometimes, uh, Jeff, the important issues that regular people feel, uh, face and feel, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily the issues that campaign contributors are interested not in. Always, yeah, okay. Not always, yeah, not always. It's kind of like, you know, you're on Senate appropriations and you get, a, you know, $100,000 from, uh, you know, a PAC out of Southern California. Well, you know probably what they want. They want a road to a, a, a subdivision that they're interested in uh, or they want, uh, they want uh, low-interest money for, you know, a project that has no relationship to Alaska. And, you know, this is, this is why it's such a... It's a big issue. And these these people who give money, they're not doing it because they have a political philosophy. They give money to organizations that hold the f- political philosophy and have the voters who can turn the election. And so, but, you know. So that, that, that being said, have you, have you raised much money for your campaign? Oh, or? no. You know, and I was just thinking about that, you know, as I'm talking. Would I take money? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind a campaign contribution or, or two, but I'm not asking for any money, not at this early stage of the game. But I was looking at. It's getting the, pretty. I mean, the primary is in less than a month. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I was looking at it. Well, Edgar, you know, I didn't ask for any money, but I had in the bank $525. And I said, then I got a $150 donation. I didn't ask for it. And I was thinking, the other guy has raised three, three and a half million. I said, if I were a journalist, wouldn't that be a great story? This guy who who, uh, went up against this candidate who had millions of dollars, and I beat him with $525. (laughs) It's almost, Jeff, it's almost like, please don't make any donations because I want to have a good story to tell. It would be a good story. (laughs) I think you're... you're, uh, (laughs) <laughs> you, you ever like the cost per vote deal? You know, somebody raises so much money and they get so many votes. They divide cost per. You probably have a record on the on the cost per. That would be, <laughs> yeah. you know, point zero 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 one. Yeah, yeah. Penny. 
but but you know, I've been in Alaska a long time, and um, you know, I, I've been in public service. You know, I served a couple of times in the cabinet. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, one more thing, I wanted to just, just real quick. It's been in the news, and you were mayor of Seward. This Jesse Lee home. I'm just kind of curious what you think. I know it's been in the back and forth for many years, and I guess it's kind of dilapidated, and it's finally coming. To, this is the home or the school where the Jesse Lee designed the Alaska flag, right? Yep. I'm just kind of curious. I've been seeing it in the news a little bit, not too much. Yeah. And, what, and what do you think about that issue? I, I think, Jeff, it's important for Alaskans to know where they come from. I think it's important for Alaskans uh, to have a feel. If, if you want Alaskans uh, not to, to be detached from the state, don't teach them Alaska history. Don't teach them about culture or traditions. And that's the problem we faced during the construction of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline because so many people moved into the state, and a lot of the people, you know, weren't going to stay here. They were just here for a period of prosperity, and that it would go. And we saw that when the uh, pipeline was over, you know, thousands of people left, you know, and some, you know, and, and we saw that with the residential units. Apartments became vacant. Uh, homes were... Uh, for sale, lots of homes. And then, but that was a time when, you know, history wasn't emphasized in the school system in Alaska. And, and you know, I went to um, uh, high school when you took, you had to have an Alaska history class. And it just kind of said, this is your state, this is where you come from. And this is how you should understand your state because this is our textbook, it was History of Alaska. And with the Jess Lee home, uh, regardless of, of all the other feelings out there, we have to have buildings that reflect Alaska's history. And this, and you know, Alaska's history is so short. Yeah, you know, it is, yeah. it, there's not much in it because we became a, a territory or a military district of the United States in 1867. We didn't become a territory, a non-voting territory, until, what, 1886 or something like that. And we didn't become a full-fledged territory until 1913. You know, we're a, uh, we're a, a new area of the United States, and we're still developing. We're still developing our political thoughts. And, you know, and when you look at Alaska, and, you know, Alaska could have become a state in 1950. We lost it in the United States Senate. The House of Representatives say, oh, let that territory. There aren't many people up there, but the population is about as, as large as Wyoming. So let those people up there in Alaska become a state. And, but then where did it, what happened? Well, the southern states. This is my theory, okay, mm -hmm. Jeff? It's only my theory. The southern states well said, well, um, we don't want Alaska to be a state because they're, they're a democratic state. And we, we need to balance the voting in the United States Senate. So we've got to find a territory that is Republican. And what territory was that? Hawaii. And so you look at Alaska. Now it's kind of, it's kind of switched. Yep, it's, that's a good point. And so in, in 1959, they looked at it and said, well, well, let's just compromise. We'll elect a Republican territory and we'll elect a Democratic territory. This is my theory, remember, uh, keep in mind, Jeff. And then so it says, hey, why not? Nothing changes. You know, everything is evenly balanced. But what happened? What has happened? Alaska used to be a Democratic territory. We, territory. we, had, uh, we had Greening and Gravel, the two very... Um, you know, progressive right. Democrats 
and yeah. and we became a Republican state. And then later, Hawaii got, um, uh, oh, in a way, uh-huh. Democrat. You know, Democrat. <laughs> we had Ted Stevens, Republican. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the uh, you know the political climate of both uh, former territories changed when they became states, and so. Hawaii is probably one of the most democratic states in the union yeah. and Alaska is a reliable Republican state, at least. Uh, well, may, I hope it changes with this election. I, you know, <laughs> that, I was going to say, I, I could be a U.S. Senator, so, but you know, you know, uh, things change, people change. So talk briefly about you were um, commissioner of, I guess it's not no longer there community regional affairs. That was combined with commerce, I guess. Right. Right. And but it, you were uh, there with Hickel and, that was his second time. That was when he when he ran when he won his independence party. Yep. With uh, there was the Coghill Jack Coghill deal, and there was it was a three way race, wasn't it? Something happened. Right. I, f- I forget the details, but he ended up winning his independence party, which is funny because that's like the secessionist party. <laughs> that's, their own, that's their only thing is seceding. You know, and you know, people really don't believe me when I tell this story, and then you know, because I was. You know, the Exxon Valdez oil spill had happened. I was chairman of the board of a native corporation, and we were going through some really difficult times because of the oil uh, spill, you know, we owned canneries. And so, you know, the, nobody who, ha- who had a fishing boat could sell a fish, you know, out of Prince William Sound. The market had collapsed. And then we had built uh, a timber mill in, in Seward, and then we couldn't, we didn't have any logs because. There were strong environmental organizations, so the corporation started to collapse because we just couldn't pay our bills. I get blamed for the oil spill a lot, and say I get blamed by for the bankruptcy of Chugach a lot. And I said, well, you know, why don't you mention Exxon Valdez? You know, there are twelve thousand plaintiffs. You know, and why would the native corporation be the only one to blame me? You know, hmm, you know, good point, yeah. yeah and, but, you know, and, and sometimes I'll be funny and say, well, you don't believe me. Read the United States Supreme Court case, you know, and then you'll find out who was responsible for the Exxon Valdez oil spill and who hurt all the businesses in Prince William Sound, the Kenai Peninsula, Kodiak and Aleutians and the entire industry of fishing. But, you know, that's what I was doing. And then uh, Wally Hickel was elected and... Uh, I also had newspapers at the time, Jeff, and then I did yeah, you not. Had, I read you had several newspapers, right? Yep, yep, and I did not endorse Wally Hickel. Oh. And I'd met Wally Hickel, you know, when I was in high school, and he was governor the first time, and, um, you know, and I won this Know Your State Government contest and was sent to Juneau to meet the governor, and I met Wally. And so That was know, in the 60s, right? Yeah, and then years and years later, you know, uh, you know, I bumped into Malcolm Roberts and his son at the old um, uh, the sporting goods store right there on Northern Lights. And uh, Malcolm asked me, um, what are you doing, Edgar? I said, well, I'm uh, at Chugach trying to deal with this oil spill. Said, and then next thing I know, I started getting telephone calls, you know, from the transition team. And, and uh, you know, I, then the lobbyists came over to my office and they said, uh, the transition team wants to have your resume. And I said, I didn't support Hickel. Huh. I said, uh, you know, don't don't try to pull me in that kind of a tra- uh, trap, you know. And then he came by again, the lobbyist came by again. He Can was, you say which lobbyist? Or? You know, it was just a lobbyist, you know. And he came by again, and a uh, third time he says, you know, Edgar, they're really serious. They really want to see your resume. And I said, I didn't support Wally Hickel. They wanted your resume. 
And I said, okay, I'll meet him. And so I went down to the Captain Cook and met Wally Hickel. And I, I, you know, and he was nice. And, and I said, uh, you know, governor, you know, uh, this is before he'd been sworn in a second time, but you still call him governor. I said, you know, I really can't leave now because the corporation's going to go through hard times because the Exxon Valdez oil spill. And he said, well, um, you know, I'd like you to consider it. Did, did, he say, said, did, did he say what position yet or no? What's that? Did he say what position he was thinking yet or no? Oh, yeah, he, he was saying he wanted me to be commissioner of community regional affairs. And I said, no. And then I got called again, and I said no again. And then finally, after the third meeting, this one was in Juneau, and I had flown up from Vancouver, British Columbia, and stopped in Juneau, and um, got asked. And finally, the the chief of staff, chief of the transition team says, um, Edgar, I don't think you understand what's happening here. The governor of Alaska is asking you to join his team as a matter of public service. Well, that's, that, that's the way to do it right there. That's, that's the way. And, and, and I said, okay, I'll think about it again. I said, Why didn't you want to do it? Because of the Chugach stuff? Yeah, because, you know, and... and Talk a little closer to the... Yeah, it's a Chugach, uh, the oil spill and, you know, the collapse of the fishing industry and uh, collapse of the timber industry. I was right there. And and um, and I didn't want to leave the company. Um, but then, in fact, when they said Commissioner of Community Regional Affairs, I really didn't know what department that was, what was like. And when I, after the interview, I went to the library just to find out what the Department of Community Regional Affairs was all about. But it was, it was just pretty impressive job training, entrepreneurship, economic development, regulation of nurses, regulation of that. You know, it was just a, it was like a, uh, a mini governor of Alaska, you know, oh, where yeah. you had all this authority, you know, and because this you, state constitution said, or states, you know, that there shall be a, uh, a local government advocate advocacy group, and that is the old Department of Community Regional Affairs, which meant I had to work with the mayors of all those small towns and all the big towns in Alaska and decide questions of where boroughs should be and city limits should be and then look at uh, property taxes. That was a, a fascinating job. And I really liked Wally Hickel and Ermelie, and they were very, very friendly to me. And I flew a lot uh, around the state with them. And, you know, every summer we would go off into, you know, I, I, you know, he'd ask, Edgar, where are we going this summer? And I'd pick out the villages, and we'd jump in the, the governor's uh, state trooper's plane and fly off mm -hmm. overnight in Kotzebue or Nome or Bethel, you know, and... And then it was it was a lot of fun. Did, you, did your uh, confirmation go okay? Was it pretty straightforward? Or oh, it was straightforward, and 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 you know that's the point I forgot. And, and I said, well, governor, you know, I'll accept the offer to be commissioner of community regional affairs on a couple of conditions. And he said, what are those conditions? I said, if you don't like what I do, fire me. And he said, oh, I agree with that. And that's a, that's a pretty good one for the company. <laughs> and I and I said the other condition is, if you don't like the way that it is going, tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. You may not like what I hear, but I'll tell you. And I said okay. So what? 
what made you decide? Was it the saying the pub- governor wants you to do some public service? Yeah, it was because I was impressed with what the old Department of Community Regional Affairs was responsible for. And in rural Alaska, government is very close because a lot of the places you didn't have like an organized government. And so you could either work with the state of Alaska. And what I would often say, Jeff, is that for the unorganized borough, the mayor of the unorganized borough could be the secretary of the interior or the president of the United States because they had so much authority over rural Alaska. And so in order to bring local people in control of these areas in the unorganized borough, you had to have a state-chartered entity. And so, you know, I was a big advocate of, uh, you know, borougheization, and people would say, no, Edgar, you're in favor of taxation. I said, no, you don't have to tax. You can develop the only uh, any kind of government that you want just as long as it meets the constitutional requirements of due process and equality. And there's, then there's a body of law that says, you know, this is how you run the government, okay? You know, like like a notice and public hearings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And even if you look at the word borough for Alaska, borough, what, that's an awful name for a local government. Nobody uses borough. Yeah, I grew, I grew up, I moved here in 04, but I grew up in New Mexico, and we had, we had counties. And, yep. That's what people know. were saying and, and when they wrote the Constitution. Why you want borough? Well, there's different theories about uh, out about it, and, and when I was in law school, I wrote a paper on it. And the one I liked, the theory I liked, was that there's so much case law associated with the word county, and so when you have a legal decision that uh, that is, you, uh, if you say borough, there's yeah. oh, and then so if you say borough, what the heck's a borough? You know, where's the case law on it? There's no case law, but, what, but there's lots of case law on. What's well, one in Louisiana? Parish, right? Parish, and in New York or City, they have town, in New, yep. com, uh, Commonwealth, don't they? Well, that's yep. Virginia is the Commonwealth, but they have another term for is it township or? Yep. And so terminology is very important when it comes to government, and particularly legal opinions and on what. And so um, the theory I liked was that, well, we didn't want to do everything how they did it back in New Mexico or Texas, you yeah. know. We want it to be our own. Well, we're state. so different. We, you know, we don't elect ju- we don't elect judges. We don't elect sheriffs. We yeah. don't elect prosecutors, or you know, all these things that other a lot of other states do do do. And we gave all, and the Constitution gives all these power, all these powers to a local area, and say, you guys want a government? You don't want a government? Create a government that has no power or limited power. And it's like, um, but but now the the problem we see, for example, the unorganized borough is a state has so much obligation whether it comes to education or infrastructure and, and that we're seeing that now with the budget and all these problems. Yes. Um, you know, the PCE power cost equalization was under attack a couple of years ago and yep. a billion, you know, that offsets prices, uh, electrical, electrical prices. But, but, but if you, but you're, if you're living in rural Alaska or you're living on the road system and uh, anywhere in the interior, whatever, and there's no government, um, then who do you talk to? You talk to your legislator, but who's going to be the advocate? Who has that official title that where, you know, you know, the governor or the speaker of the House or the Senate president has to address that person as Mr. Mayor, you know, and because the government, the local government, is a legally established organization, no matter the size, no matter the size. And so you have authority. It's kind of like, here's a good example, um, Jeff, you know, you have, 
Denali, and you have all those um, those small communities in the Denali. Not a lot, but but you have very small population, probably around fifteen hundred. And then you at the time when Denali was under con, uh, consideration for formation. The, the Denali Borough, right? Yep, right. The reason that they wanted it, as I understand it, was the Matsu wanted the lodges at McKinley or Denali Park, okay? The bed tax. Uh, and there the, it is. the North Star Borough wanted the bed tax, too. And say, looking at all these lodges in these hotel rooms in our county, you've got the registers going in their heads and, you know. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and they're saying, well, you know, we should annex like Cantwell and Anderson and you know, the Denali Park headquarters. And then you have all these people from all over the world, hundreds of thousands of people staying in those hotels. Wow, the cash registers just start, you know. As well, that, was a good, that was a good foresight because... Yeah. Yeah, look at the, I mean, that's actually the problem right now is I was just reading that um, the Denali Borough, something like, nine, I think it's like 90% or something of their revenue comes from, from ta- sales tax. taxes, bed taxes, all yep. these, yep. you know, tourist tourism. And this COVID thing is really, same with Southeast Alaska, Skagway, Ketchikan. Seward. Seward, you know, Seward, Seward too. Seward, so yeah, and, and big, big hit for these local um, governments. Oh, and, and and so you, you look at... If, if you're looking at a government, you want to control your own affairs. Uh, in a, in a, one of the governors used to tell me, stop talking about that, Edgar, because people in Alaska don't want to hear about government. They think lo- we have almost no government in some of those areas, and you're talking about increasing government where there's no government. <laughs> cool. And I would say, well, you know, I just think if local people want to control their local affairs, create a local government. You know, yeah. and you know, you, uh, Jeff, you brought up Seward, and you know, you know, I was just in Seward. You know, I have lots of relatives in Seward. You know, and um, but Seward has been busy this spring because there's tourists there, and a lot of the tourists, I think, are coming from Anchorage. You know, or on the other side of the Kenai Peninsula, because there's really not very many places you can drive to, and you don't have the cruise ships coming. Like, I don't know, 500,000 people come in on the cruise ships, you know, 600, 700,000 people come in every summer. And there, it's a great revenue producer for the small town uh, of Seward and for the other towns like uh, like Valdez and like, you know, uh, Ketchikan, even Juneau and Skagway, Sitka. Um, and, but there, there's going to be some hard times. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, if we don't come up uh, with a vaccine for the coronavirus, you know, then there's the next summer is going to be even worse, you know. And um, yeah, I think you know, we weather weathering one summer with we're going to have to do that. But and how need, do you weather a second summer? And we need work. We need workers. We need workers that work in the canneries, the fish process. You see, in this thing in Seward, eighty-five people on the boat. Yep, and fishing boat, the trawler. And then, you know, what? and I was very hesitant, you know. You know, I went to the post office, but I made sure I wore a mask, you know. went to the grocery store, and I made sure I was wearing a mask. Um, but um, you're, it, you're, uh, I know how old you are because I know when you were born, but, but you, you, don't, you don't look that old. <laughs> you, you look pretty good. Well, look like you're in pretty good shape. Oh, uh, well, thank you. But, uh, you know, the, the, the future of this state is... Um, 
you know, I, I like to go back to the day when Alaskans, you know, were really proud to be Alaskans, you know, and uh, they didn't want to, uh, they didn't care how things were done outside, and they wanted a, you know, their delegation to work hard for Alaskans. And Alaska's government structure, uh, it can lean heavy on the federal government, but it has to be through innovation, yeah. you know. And we have all these opportunities. And going back to the point of my earlier, uh, if you accept too many large contributions from outside contributors, you're hamstring pretty much. You can't negotiate on a particular bill um, because you, they know that yet, you know, whatever the leadership in the Senate is, they know how that senator, the leadership is going to go. And so they know they can bring you into line quickly. And so, uh, you know, and you know, look at the other big part of that are the judges, you know, and there's um, uh, 650-some judges, uh, federal judges, district court. And Yeah, we hear about the Supreme Court ones. Those are the big ones, but we don't really hear much about the other. Jeff, it's uh, the appellate court and superior. Yeah. And look at the judges. Ka- Kavanaugh was on the appellate court before he was. Yeah. It's a pretty, so he was, but the federal judges, you know, no matter where they, where they reside, they have jurisdiction over the entire country. You know, if there's no, um, uh, no precedence that's established. Okay. So they can come out, um, first and make a decision and declare something unconstitutional in Alaska. Uh, A good example is the Northern district of Texas. They declared unconstitutional the Native American Child Welfare Act uh, because it discriminated against non-natives or white people. And but, and then, uh, you know, I was thinking about during the confirmation process, didn't anybody ask that nominee if he understood Native American law? Obviously, he did not. And so, and so, in the Trump administration. They and they've had this great opportunity, and they have seized on it. This is what Mitch McConnell is saying. He wants there to be a completely reinvention of the federal court system, and you put people who are conservative out of six hundred and fifty federal district court judges, almost two hundred of them have been nominated by president. He's not, yeah. McConnell. His thing goes back to uh, Bork. You yep. know, the Bork guy didn't make it, and they, he, he was just elected to the U.S. It was in the late 80s. Okay. And I think ever since then, he's been very, had very strong opinions about the whole court deal. And, and so you look at these judgeships. Those judges, they have authority over the entire country where there's no prevailing uh, higher court decision, like the Court of Appeals or Supreme Court. And so it really leaves it wide open. And, and you look at the Senate delegation, they have voted almost 100% in favor of those judges. It's going to come back to bite us in the butt, you know, because we don't know where they're going. And, you know, you know, I'll give you, a, you know, what, what uh, you know, I'm concerned about is Alaska's Constitution. In Alaska's Constitution, you have a right of privacy. And the right of privacy is the, uh, Alaska is fortunate in that we have, we're one of the few states in the United States that has in the Constitution a right to privacy. Right, that's that's big. Yep, that I mean, was a whole Raven decision, marijuana. Yep, Alaska was one of the f- first five states to 
legalize abortion before Roe v. Wade. Same-sex marriage, goes back to the private privacy. education. Yeah. All goes back to the privacy yep. clause. Yep, all of them go back to the privacy clause. And, you know, and some of my, you know, I thought, and I said, are the Alaska senators, they don't like Alaska's constitutional right of privacy, so what they're doing is inviting the federal judiciary to gut the Alaska Constitution on the right of privacy. And that's it. They may not know it, but that's, I think that's the effect of it. You know, that's certainly my opinion, Jeff, that, but we're leaving too much out there by just rubber stamping whomever Mitch McConnell says should be on the bench. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. I don't really pay much attention to those. I mean, I know they happen. They happen. I know Trump's nominated a lot of judges and I think that's one of the reasons a lot of the supporters are so excited because yes. they, they, the big thing is like, we want, you know, cause this, but it's the gonna, judicial, judicial branch. Some people don't like what happens, so they want to put their people in there, and they get you know they get excited. But but, but you know it, it's going to be, it's it's going to be um, dramatic. You know if um, there are you know because f- federal law always overrules state law. Yeah. Federal administrative decision overrules Alaska's constitution, and so what what, Jer- what we face is that all that stuff that we think that makes us unique to be Alaskan. You know, we'll have the, a greater authority, and the greater authority will be the federal court system. We're coming up in an hour here, which is uh, Holy longer cow. than normally. But you've been <laughs> such a good podcast, so many good stories, and I really enjoyed. We should do another one of these. I think we could. I, we went off on some tangents. Let's do I didn't it before even, I, the primary election. We could do another one. I, we, we talked about a lot of things I didn't even think would come up. So I really, I think your wealth of knowledge. You have a lot of experience, and I think our landmine radio listeners love hearing stories and glimpses into the past. So yep. I really well, enjoyed you know, it. anytime you want to have me on the program, you know, I'll be on the program. If things don't go the same way that I would like them to go after all. Maybe, maybe it'll be the, the story of $500. Wins the <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great story, though? It'll be a good, it'll be a good story. Uh, late, late night candidate with a total contribution of $525 defeats. The Democratic leadership nominee... I can, uh, I can, with uh, millions in the bank. <laughs> I can securely, I can, I can securely or safely say that would be a national story. So yeah. Edgar, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation with you. Okay. Thank you very much for inviting me. We will do it. We'll do another one. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.